Welcome to the Inspire to Thrive podcast, a place for K-12 educators to find insights and inspiration. How do you weather the storm, lead through trauma, and come back even stronger? That is the topic of our podcast today. The Inspire to Thrive podcast, brought to you by the Small School District Association, the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence, and Thrive Public Schools, supporting educators to create greater impact for children. Tim, welcome to the Inspire to Thrive podcast. Thank you so much, Nicole. Super glad to be here. Well, it's exciting to have you because you were part of the creation of this podcast and this belief that educators across the state and really across the country could use a dose of inspiration. Tell us more about kind of what do you as a former superintendent and current executive director of the Small School Districts Association, what do you see as the most urgent need in education right now? I think the most urgent need, uh, we've been through a major crisis, right? And I think some some of our districts throughout the United States have been through multiple. Like if you're talking about districts that have been, you know, uh, evacuated from wildfires or deal with other type of tornadoes, tragedies throughout the country, you got a double trauma thing going on. And so the role of the superintendents and even governing boards has been survival and try to keep things together. You're dealing with an international pandemic, which, you know, you and I haven't dealt with in our lifetime. And um, so I think people really have, have really struggled. They've been really been trying to maintain and, and provide the best schooling they can. And then as we come out of this, this, it's time to us to kind of dust off what we're doing as leaders and get ready for a really super, I think, super exciting time and very innovative time in education. But where do we start? You know, these superintendents, site leaders, and teachers, they've experienced the same trauma as the children and often more trauma, right? Because they're bearing the the brunt of sort of where the stress comes from in terms of trying to take care of kids. How do you start to dust off and kind of sharpen those skills in order to do the work that lies ahead? Yeah, I think it starts with celebrating what you've accomplished uh, during this 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 time, right? I mean, it's just to me, it's just amazing watching these great leaders being mandated to do distance learning out of nowhere, right? And we're sitting there on March 13th and um, really proud of uh, my members who live in these rural, small towns that didn't even have internet access or laptops, and they had to get school rolling. And instead of what we saw in a lot of our, our friends in urban districts, they spent 12 weeks trying to figure it out. Our people were up and running in four to five days. I think we actually did a survey of 100 plus districts and the average time that teachers got back with their students in some capacity was four and a half days um and we were super proud of that and what they did was DoorDash curriculum kind of breaking the law a little bit or, or bending the rules and driving out to these little houses and throwing some uh, curriculum on the doorstep until they can get laptops so if you could do those type of things you've got to step back and, and go Man, that was awesome. How do we jumpstart our distance learning and get more technology into our schools and empower our teachers? How can I leverage that to innovate in the future with a lot of the great, um, I think the great resources coming towards uh, schools next you know, two or three years? 
So interesting that you bring that up. So we just finished a blog series with a learning accelerator around exactly that, right? Like how do you lean on your history and the really rich and exciting work that you've achieved? And even if the history is sometimes marred and not spotless, right? Like how do you lean on your history to move forward? And you mentioned a little bit about your members. And while many of our listeners know about rural schools, many of them lead rural and small school districts, say more about why their work can be so much more challenging. Well, I think first and foremost, it's the hub of the town, right? I think uh, as you know, everyone loves their schools throughout anywhere in the country, but in small towns, you are the town. I mean, I think in, in small schools, you are the town and especially if you've got a high school and Friday night football and all that good stuff. So you're right in the hub. So I think that's hard. It's hard to be in the spotlight all the time. Um, for those of us that have worked in larger districts, you're, you're part of the community, but you're not the town, right? And so that that's a lot. I think secondly is you have to do everything, which I think in some ways makes you a stronger leader because you're really involved in every aspect of it. Um, you know, Nicole, you started a small uh, charter school and it's a pain to have to do everything, but it's kind of like working in a restaurant. I, I, I worked in a restaurant for years and I got to do everything from prep cook, washing dishes, being the waiter, being the uh, prep, you know, being a cook, doing everything. It's rewarding to be able to do everything. Um, and so I think that those things kind of layer on top of each other. You're the hub, you have to do everything. And then I think the other thing, and I think uh, I, you and I talked about this earlier, with school board members in small towns, they aren't running to run for office or president or assembly or senate. They're running because their kids go to school there or their grandkids did or they work there. And so that kind of adds more pressure on the superintendent in different ways is that it's really deep into the soul of, of the organization that these people are on the board because they truly are committed to that little district to keep um, their history alive. So those are kind of the layers around leadership, but it is is not an easy job at all, but I think it's actually the most rewarding job I've seen in education, to tell you the truth. Well, yeah, I would agree because you get to really be part of the fiber of of the community. And, and at the same time, I would argue it makes the job that much harder when it comes to dusting off the, the cape, right? The superhero cape and, and stepping forward. So as we look to support superintendents for this coming year. What are some examples of creative ways to just reinvigorate yourself and your staff to get ready to do that work? Because the people I'm talking to, the people you're talking to, they're exhausted, they're tired. And yet I see so much hope and excitement on your face right now. You've led through a fire, you've led through crisis. What helped your team to move forward and come back stronger? Well, I think I think in every case is a little different, but the great leaders within small districts get help. They bring in consultants to help them. I think we're kind of guilty of it. We have this kind of mantra of like, oh, we got to do everything. I got to do everything. I got to do everything. And so now they're writing all their plans and all these grants and all these contracts. And there's hundreds of thousands of dollars at stakes. And I'm going, listen, governing board and superintendents, spend a little money to get a lot more money right? And a lot more resources, right? Bring some experts in to help you. I was on a call yesterday with all the, the chief financial officers. We're doing a weekly thing and someone down at Ventura said, hey, our five districts had a consultant write all their grants for the federal money for technology. 
boom, done, right? Cost five grand. They were bringing in two, $300,000. But it's really hard for boards to understand being entrepreneurial and being um, smart about how you do that. The great districts understand that and they really do make sure that the superintendent's doing superintendency work with a little trickle because it's small. I think they're going to still have to, you know, once in a while clean the toilets and all that stuff. <laughs> but when it comes in for this, when we're talking about billions of dollars at stakes for community schools, for uh, extended learning after school and preschool, you've got to bring in help. You can't keep doing the same job at the level you're doing it without bringing in help. And it's hard because um, sometimes our, our local school boards in small rural areas are tired of the bark on a tree. They don't like to spend money. And I said, look, you've got 30 and 40% reserves. That's It's a rainy day. It's a different rainy day. It's not like the recession, but it's a rainy day to bring in the thrives of the world and go, look, I'll help you guys develop this plan. And it, it's the return on that is huge, right? And that's good leadership. Sometimes you got to roll the dice and be a little entrepreneurial to do that. And, but it's very hard for small districts to have that mindset. And again, I think you have to work with colleagues that know how to do that. Hugh, through the pandemic, have done some really interesting and creative ways to kind of energize folks. You built this partnership with Thrive, CCE, and SSDA to hold kind of these weekly camaraderie sessions, right? And helping people get more ideas. Tell more about like, what was the thinking behind that? Is it working out the way that you thought? Well, I think the greatest thing I've seen in the last couple of years is the ability for people not to be stuck in their county and their region, that they're mm -hmm. able to be statewide and share best practices and friendships and, you know, um, networking outside of your county. I, I kind of learned that early. It was kind of interesting. I always been kind of a connector. And I remember I got a job as a vice principal of adult ed. And I said, who? And I was in Little Elk Grove in a small adult ed. And I called CD and go, who has the best adult ed program when it comes to curriculum instruction? They're going, oh, LA Unified. Okay. So I got in a plane, I flew down to LA Unified and I took everything they had. And I think one of the mistakes we make as leaders, especially with charter schools and with small districts, if we stay within our own fraternity sorority. And I'm saying, you know what? Partner with some of the large districts to take some of their best practices and steal them and bring them home and vice versa, right? So I've seen that as my greatest, uh, the greatest accomplishment is providing much resources and connectivity between each other and kind of letting people go, don't do that. Uh, Nicole, one time I was... Uh, running juvenile hall in Sacramento and we had mm -hmm. uh, the average grade reading grade level of kids was about three third grade right and you're talking 15 16 year olds who've been in terrible systems so I remember calling somebody and go who has the best intervention reading program in the state and they said Rancho Santa Fe in San Diego I said wow we're going right what do they have like five kids who can't read in Rancho Santa Fe I think it was like six but we went down there and they shared their systems with our juvenile hall reading teachers and we copied it verbatim. It doesn't matter that Rancho Santa Fe kids live in million dollar homes. They still were struggling with reading and we brought it into juvenile hall and emulated what they do. And I think that that's what I'm trying to do with SSDA is don't just stay within your own zone. Try to get out there and better yet, try to get out there with all the schools in California to make your schools better. Uh so true. I remember when I had moved to Los Angeles to uh, become an assistant principal. Gosh, it was 
not that long ago, Tim, not that long ago. <laughs> but I remember bringing teachers to like my old school where I used to work and saying like, let's, let's steal all the great stuff. Like let's get inspired. And I think one of the most rewarding things still to this day is when I get to visit different school sites and borrow and build upon, right. What other people are doing. I see you doing that a lot in the weekly calls that you have with superintendents. You do these spotlights where people share work that they've done. What's the feedback you've been getting from other people? I think it's great. I know that I get energized by them. What are you hearing? What's the feedback you're getting? Well, I wish the, I think the next level we can take our AB 130 technical assistance, in my opinion, is we have to teach people how to kind of detox from the daily grind of what they're mm-hmm. doing and help them vision, right? Yeah. I mean, Nicole, I mean, seriously, I've been uh, in this business a little while, a long, lot longer than you were probably born, but um, Dave Gordon, I worked under him at Elk Grove and in the early 90s. 30 years ago, he wanted preschool for all in Elk Grove. And we got pretty close. We were we did a combination of it. And to to think that the, at this moment that we could have TK, PK for all is just, I mean, look, I got chills thinking about that, really. And then community schools, I'm a huge fan of community schools. I actually, in the mid-80s, was a community school um, alternative ed teacher. And they flew us out to New York to look, I mean, they, they had us hook up with New York to look at, community school uh, practices been around since the 70s right it, it's it works and then i think when you look at the after school and the commitment we make to extended learning and the innovation you can bring in there this is the moment for a great leader to step back and go wow i mean if someone would have told me in in a, in a little hub i mean i could see this happen over 20 years but in, in a two to five year period you could really embrace these three great things to really i think you know change the the, the culture of that, it's equal, almost equal to technology explosion of the 90s. Um, and great leaders are going to embrace this. Others are going to let the Queen Mary go right by their school and they're going to stay in an old model. And uh, my goal is to help, help people not do that and let, let them truly embrace these three great initiatives to make schools better. And so obviously they can connect with SSDA. I know you've got a couple of conferences. Your other advice was go visit schools, visit systems, like steal what they're doing, build on the greats. What's your final piece of advice for superintendents or site leaders who are looking to like regain their energies for next year and and really move forward? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think you have to take yourself away by yourself and kind of figure your whole self out and look at the last two or three years, what you're doing. I would say just take yourself to a cabin or tent or whatever you like to do when you get away. Don't have a lot of distractions, throw the phone away and just spend a couple days figuring out where you wanna take your district and really refresh yourself in that. Sometimes, you know, it's just, some people do it just with a walk, like so like walk and kind of vision. But I think in this stage, when you're talking about three major initiatives yeah. and Nicole, let's be real, there's 11 big initiatives. You got literacy coming, you got mental health coming, you got all these things yeah. coming, that's a huge, wall of things and just take yourself away maybe grab a bottle of wine or whatever you do to relax and i'm always a fan of being around water or mountains when you do these and and really find yourself right and i think don't worry about the master schedule don't worry about the budget coming up just get yourself a couple days away and think how are you going to backwards map for how are you going to create your vision that you want to sell to your community 
and then continue to do that. And I don't think you can do that. Uh, I always say people that go on a retreat and they have it at their school, it's, it's just a re, there's no treat. That's a treat. You're, you're doing the same thing. But get yourself away into an area that's in your zone to rethink who you are as a leader. So that's my first thing. And then the second thing is I think after you do that, get yourself around some colleagues you really trust to do a similar thing. Yeah. And just spend a day or two really talking through what you're going to do, right? And I've always had three mentors in my life since I got into, I would say, the superintendency role and this role. Mm -hmm. And I lean on them hard when it's this time, right? I don't need to lean on them when things are rolling good. And so lean on people you trust to help you. And if you don't have somebody, call Nicole and Tim. I mean, I think we can help help you get connected to people with who have similar visions of you. And then I think the very last thing is prepare yourself to fail a little bit. I think that's the beauty. I, I just the beauty of it. I love to tell the story and um, probably go on a little too long, but my really Butte County Office of Ed started the migrant ed program in 1968. And you can imagine what happened was the Department of Ed said, hey, we got to help these kids get some literacy and reading, these migrant kids. And some guy in Butte County raised his hand and said, well, we can do that. His name was Glenn White, a white guy with a crew cut and a white shirt. And they gave him funding, right? They gave him funding to help kids out. So they hired a woman by the name of Betty Vassar. Mm-hmm. who was my board member at Butte County in, the, in her mid-80s, just a wonderful lady. She came out from L.A., and I said, what was that like to start migrant ed, education in migrant camps all throughout Northern California? Because it went from Sacramento all the way there. Yeah. Because, Tim, we had no idea what we were doing, and that was the fun of it. It was uh, – so you see these initiatives come in, and the, the beauty and the fun of it is you don't really know what the road's going to be. I know, Nicole, you're a huge strategic planning person. I love that. But But I like the ideating part of the strategic planning. I like the stuff that comes before the strategy. Yes. I mean, when she said said that, I went, oh, my God, that's like like one of my favorite things ever. She goes, we had no idea what we're doing. That was the fun of it. We worked 24 hours a day to help these children get some books that no one had, right? So I think that's kind of this with these initiatives, a little overwhelming. We're hearing a lot of our members say, I'm not going to do that on time. I'm too stressed too much. And that's, that's a shame and ask for help, get yourself away in a retreat setting. And uh, you know what the fun of it is not to know what the hell you're doing. You'll get it done anyway. So that's kind of my little tips uh, on get it done. Words to live by Tim. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for listening and thanks to everyone out there choosing to work in education. The Inspire to Thrive podcast spotlights the great things possible in education and is produced by Thrive Public Schools in partnership with Copernicus Solutions. If you have ideas to share or need support to reimagine education, visit us at www.thriveps.org.